I gotta go while the caffeine's hot, you know? Soaking in the soaking in the veins. I know it's early. We're gonna keep it casual though. I'm gonna sit down. See this? Casualness. I love it. Okay. Open your Bibles to Galatians if you haven't already, and we will get rocking. I'm not going to be proud. I'm going to drink my coffee while I do this, too. Okay? Groovy. Well, let me give you a little background on where we'll be over the course of the day. We will be in the book of Galatians. Just a little history, a little introduction. This is Paul, and he's writing to the church of Galatia, hence Galatians, okay? He's writing to believers, okay? So he's writing to actually the churches that he planted on his first and his third missionary journey. So he's talking to those that he's discipled, that he's interacted with, that he's lived among. And now he's giving them some instructions because he's caught wind of the fact that they have fallen into false teaching. So the gospel that he was preaching to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're beginning to um, be deluded in the things of the world and the teachings. There's been some false teachers that have infiltrated the churches and started planting seeds of deception. And so Paul is coming in in Galatians 1 and all throughout the book, and he's about to set the record straight. So we're going to dig in and start with that. Um, just to give you some insight into into these false teachers that were in the church in this day. They were called Judaizers. That's kind of a fancy term. But essentially what they were saying or proclaiming was that, yes, we believe Jesus was Christ and crucified for our sins and so on and so forth. Uh, We believe all that, but we also think, people of Galatia, you should go ahead and still follow the Old Testament law. Go ahead and do the rules. We'll keep the sacrificial system going. We'll keep our, our list of regulations alive. Even though, as New Testament believers, we know that when Christ came, he came to fulfill that law. He came to fulfill the law that we were never expected to actually keep. Christ, or God didn't instill the Old Testament law so that um, because he knew we would be able to live up to it. He knew his people would never be able to live up to it, and that's why he sent his son Jesus. But the law is there to show us his grace or show us our need for salvation or for a better part or a mediator. So that's what the Judaizers were doing here. They were coming in and saying, yeah, we believe in Christ, but we think you should go ahead and still do all this Old Testament stuff. That was the deception. That was the false teaching that was happening. So we always have to remember going into this, it is about God's grace. It is nothing More than God's grace, it is nothing less than God's grace. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. It's always about the grace of God. It's about what Christ Jesus did for us, not what we do for ourselves. So those of us who are in the pattern of fixing our lives and working on things and we're feeling so overwhelmed and stressed, you know, we're going to talk about those things in in that when that is in our lives, there is an absence of God's grace in our lives. And it's when we, we can hold on to that grace and understand that grace and receive that grace that we start recognizing the peace that comes with us. All right, so there's the intro. Let's start in verse 1. We're just going to go verse by verse. That's typically how we, how we teach here to give you the full counsel of God's word. 
I do read out of the New King James Version, so it's going to be a little bit different for NIV years. I'm sorry. Uh, my husband pointed that out to me this morning. He's like, you need to tell them you read a different version. Okay. So it's a little, little different. But it says in my version, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. So in Paul's typical manner, he wrote 13 various books that are attributed to him in the New Testament and several others we believe are, but 13 officially. He establishes that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. No different. So immediately he is reminding these people that he discipled it's about Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And I love that because you think about it as you gather together with other believers. And this question popped into my mind. When I'm with other believers, how quickly does the name of Christ come up? How quickly do we go to that name and are we drawn to that name and do we speak that name? And that should be the basis of our conversation and the basis of our faith. So Paul immediately begins to fan the flame of those people that he discipled and saying, Hey, remember, it's about Jesus. It's not about the law. It's about Jesus Christ and what he did and the sacrifice that he made for us. All right. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, grace and peace. What do we know about grace and peace? You can't have, you can't have peace without the grace of God, right? So if there is an absence of peace in your life, there is an absence of grace in your life. There is an absence of fully understanding the sacrifice that Christ made for you. There is an absence of understanding how much he loves you, how much he wants to help you with your life. When we get into the I'm overwhelmed mode, I, you know, I'm stressed out, we're, uh, we're pointing our attention towards the issue and not towards Christ. And when we point it towards Christ, we're operating within that grace, okay? So grace and peace are always married together and when we divorce them in our lives there is conflict and friction just like normal divorce and marriages okay when when two things were together and then they're apart it causes you know there's there's discourse there so grace and peace together so always if you're if you're lacking in the peace get back to the grace of the grace of god All right, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, Paul is just reinforcing Christ, 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 because they've stepped away from the grace of Christ Jesus. They're stepping away from it and going back into that Old Testament list of regulations. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. You have to be perfect, so on and so forth. So he is just refreshing in them. All right, starting in verse 6. I love this part. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the, what does that say? In the grace of Christ to a different gospel. All right, so this is what I love about this section. It really speaks to my personality. In, In many of Paul's other books, Typically, his intro, he establishes that he's an apostle. And then you'll see he has the phrase of, I always thank God for you, or I always thank blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this nice, nice, rich section of how thankful he is, which I love, and I need that more in my life. I need to pattern my prayer life more like that 
and being more thankful. And that's, if you're following Angela's Psalm study, it's also reiterated there. It's always a thankful heart and appreciative heart. But I love this section because Paul gets right down to business, which is more like me. It's all business here. We're not going to go into the thankful thing because he knows he is here to fight a spiritual battle. He is here to fight for the hearts of those people that he has discipled and that he's been among because they are being deceived. So he's going to say, you know, no fluff about it. Galatians, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm amazed. I'm astonished, I think, as some of the versions how quickly you have moved away from what I taught you. So he is engaging in a spiritual battle with the Galatians, and he is ready to fight. And I love that. And the first thing he says, I'm astonished, blah, 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 to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you that we have preached you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it in verse 9, because one, stating it once, was not enough. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what, what you have received, let him be accursed. So he's stating there is one gospel, Galatians. There is one, uno, Nothing supplementary, nothing you add to it, nothing to you take away. It is the gospel of Christ Jesus. So let's uh, let's remember that, you know, um, especially as we even, you know, we listen to teachings online and we read books, and those are all good things, and I don't ever want to discourage those, but we have to remember that this is it, uno. This is the basis of everything that we do and we say, and our lives have to line up with this. When false teachers come in and they start, they sound a lot like the truth, but there's just a little bit of something different. That is because they're failing to align their life with the full truth of God. And therefore, then they're, they're planting that seed in other people's lives. So we have to guard ourselves as Christians. It's not our duty to hear what other people are saying and then apply it to our lives. It's our duty to go to the word of God listen to what he has to say, listen to the godly counsel of others. But this is always our root, always our core. So he's saying that there's one gospel, there's numero uno, and it's the gospel based on Christ Jesus. It's not from man, he says. It's not from man. Catch this. It's not from an angel. It's from God. All right? And if you think about that, think about the fallacy in the religions today. Let's uh, kind of like a family feud moment. You can just kind of spout it out. Tell me, name for me what you think the top six religions of the world are. Just any order, shout it out. Islam. Islam. Jews. Jews. Buddhism. Buddhism, Catholics. Mormonism. Mormonism. Hinduism. Hinduism. Christianity. Christianity. <laughs> Any others? Any others? Okay. Here's the top six in order. Number one, Christianity. 2.1 billion Christians in America. Convicting, folks. Because if 2.1 billion Christians would abide by the word of God, would live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, we would not be in the situation we are today. 
These are people who maybe have the Christian label, and maybe, you know, you were one of them too. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I got the God thing. I go to church on Sunday. I, you know, I kind of read my Bible here and there. If 2.1 billion people truly knew Christ crucified and preached that, just let that simmer for a second, you know? And all we can do here today, all you can do is your part, you know? You think about it and think about how many people are in the world, and sometimes it gets discouraging because you're thinking, I'm just one person. Well, if each person would take responsibility for themselves and model that behavior to someone else, then think about how that would multiply. If all of you did your part and then influenced those that are in your sphere of influence and their lives changed and then they in turn multiplied out and influenced those people, I mean, it just would be astronomical. So number one is Christianity. It's, it's positive, but it's also saddening and humbling because we're just not doing our jobs. Number two, top religion in the world is Muslim or Islam. There's 1.5 billion Muslims in this world. Now, let me, let me explain to you a little just high level. It's very complex, but high level in what Muslim, Muslims believe. They do believe that Christ was a prophet and that he was a good person. They do not believe that he died. All right. They believe that he gave the appearance of dying to the Jews, but didn't actually physically die. And then that God did raise him up into heaven. So they believe of that um, ascension into heaven, but that he only appeared to be killed. Okay. Then they believe that Muhammad was a prophet God spoke to directly. Okay. So they believe that, that God visited Muhammad, and Muhammad in turn wrote the Quran. So you guys have probably heard that term, the Quran. So Muslims actually, they do respect the Bible, but they believe it has been tampered with uh, by mankind. And therefore, it should only be accepted as far as it is confirmed in the Quran. So essentially, the Quran trumps the Bible. That's how they, that's how they perceive it. So while the Bible is treated with respect, any statements which uh, clearly oppose the Quran are rejected and looked at them as being a work of mankind. Okay, so that's, that's the base of a, basic of the Muslim religion. Number three, some of you kind of hit on it. It's actually, this is also convicting, it's atheists, atheist, agnostics, secular, and non-religious people. We kind of couple those together. All right, so atheist is you don't believe in God. Agnostic is you're not sure you believe in God. And the secular non-religious is you don't really give a rip about God either way. Yeah, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the labeling of it all. But there are 1.1 billion atheists, agnostics, and non-religious people in the world. And really, folks, that's a lot of what we see here in America day in and day out. It's just kind of those... Passive folks, I'm here for the ride, I want to live a good life, or I'm a good person, but, you know, I still want to sit on the throne of my life. I still want, you know, if this is the throne of our lives, I still want to sit in the chair. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be down here on my knees and let Christ sit in it. So, really, that's, there's people out here who don't know about God, don't, aren't sure about God, 
Um, so that's convicting, convicting as well. Uh, number four is Hinduism. Hinduism, kind of a conglomeration of religion and philosophical thoughts and cultural ideas that originated from India. It's relatively com- complex. Uh, number five, okay, there were 1.1 billion Hindus in, in the world. Number five, Chinese traditional religion, 394 million. So this is a very complex one. There's different religions. It's, it's Confucianism, it's Buddhism, it's Taoism. It's just kind of this conglomeration of paganistic practices that the, the Chinese. There are 394 million Chinese traditional religion. Number six, Buddhism. I heard several of you say that. 376 million Buddhists in the world. So they focused on the what we call the four noble truths which can free one from suffering. All right, that's clearly against biblical word because we know as Christians we suffer. We suffer for Christ, right? And that's what builds our character. So it's all of this, with the exception of Christianity to some extent, is built upon a different gospel. You'll see that there is, you know, an enlightened one or, you know, a a prophet or a spokesman of God sent to this earth. All of that just says false, 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 false. It's written all over it. So we, we got to always come back to the messenger has to be Jesus Christ, okay? There's no additional knowledge to this. There, This is ordained word of God. The books that are in here are in here for a purpose. I believe God ordained that and chose what's in here and... He wanted what's in here to be in here for a reason, and he wanted what wanted he wanted what to leave out to be left out. All right, and we don't understand all why, but we will one day. He will teach us for a thousand years, right? So we love it. Okay, so we're gonna start in ten now. Pick up in ten. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. All right, so you don't have to raise your hands. You can just talk about it to yourself. How many people have the people-pleaser disease? Okay, this is always convicting to me. I used to be, okay, Michelle's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. (laughs) I I am a reformed people-pleaser. I do still struggle with it, okay? (laughs) Aren't we all? Yeah. Um, But really, people pleasing, you have to think about, I I think of it like this. Because in a lot of things, we say say there's balance. You know, there's a balance in, you know, how much TV we watch or how much we do this or how much we do that. There's always a balance thing. We have to be cognizant of the balance. But when it comes to people pleasing, it's either people or God. And... In terms of your heart, you're either pointed this direction or you're pointed this direction. There's no balance because then your your energy is split. So if you find yourself as a people pleaser and speaking as a reformed people pleaser, you know, when you're over here and and you're trying to please man or make effort towards man, you're constantly taking this you know, your little thermometer and you're putting it in this friend, you're saying, are you happy? Are you good? Are you okay? Are you mad at me? Okay, check. 
Next one. Are you happy? Are you good? Are you okay? Are you mad? Oh, you know, I need to tend to you a little bit. You know, you, you seem a little on edge. Is it something I've done? You know, then you take the thermometer out and you put it in the next person. That is the people pleaser disease where you're trying, you're constantly promoting your energy and your thought life towards keeping other people happy instead of turning away from that mentality and turning towards Christ and saying, you know what? I'm just going to focus right here. I know that the core and who Christ Jesus is, is the center of what I must do every day. And it only matters that I'm pleasing God because I can never make fallible man happy. He will never be happy no matter how perfect you are, no matter how great your life is. You will never make everybody else happy. Someone's always going to have something to gripe about. I work in HR. I know. I make all these awesome rules thinking it's going to make everybody happy and somebody's going to complain, right? So we have to turn ourselves and, and turn our backs to the people and say, Lord, just let's, let's just get you and me right. You know, if, if our relationship with God is right and, our, and it's centered and we're spending our time and our energy not pleasing people but just letting ourselves sit in his presence and letting him heal us, and letting him take away all that shame. You know, as, as we sang the song, I am redeemed. You, I love that. You know, you're not who you were. Um, you know, people call you unworthy. You just, you just turn your back on the world and, and you look at God and you say, you know, I'm just going to do this right. We're going to get this right. And when this is right, when your life with Christ is right and that core is correct, everything else, falls into place. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to get mad or aren't going to get upset, but it doesn't matter so much anymore because you know that your relationship with Christ is right and is solid and is firm. It's when we get out of sync and we're trying to please both sides that we just become bombarded and overwhelmed. So if you're struggling with that today, Lord, be in the center of Christ Jesus. Be, be with him and then let the rest just play out. Cool. Cool. All right. Verse. Okay, I want to say, I'm not going to get into it, um, but in the latter part of verse 10, it said, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I think, I can't remember if it was 20 or 21 in Exodus that we talked about being a bondservant and what that is. But really, what, you know, a lot of people think, well, following Christ, you know, it's me shackling myself to him. And it's not. It's him freeing you from the shackles and you willingly deciding to, to follow him. That is what a bond servant is. A bond servant in the Old Testament was actually a slave set free by his master. And then the slave said, hey, you know what? I just want to serve you willingly. All right? And so what, what the master would do, he'd actually pierce his ear and he would get like this, this clip or this earring. And so as he walked around, people understood or saw his piercing in his ear that, hey, he's willingly serving his master. He's not shackled to his master. He's not enslaved to him. He's not in bondage to him. His master has set him free. And then the, bond, and then the servant has come back and say, hey, I just want to serve you because I love you and I, I care for your household. And then the, the master has pierced him. Uh, with that and I love that and I love that thought and I love that image of 
of Christ being pierced for us. I mean, he willingly gave. He willingly said, Father, I humble myself to you. I, I will be pierced by this world and follow you, and I'll carry those marks on my hand as I walk around. And we know that, if you read kind of in Revelation, that when we see Jesus face to face, we will still see the, the scarring on his hands and his feet. And it's just a reminder of that bondservant mentality that we are to have, that we willingly serve Christ, um, but that we are pierced uh, just as he was pierced. So. Just a side note, you can read more about that. I think it's Exodus 20 or 21. I don't, I don't remember. Um, verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. So again, Paul is reinforcing the fact that, hey, I know what these other guys are telling you, but listen, the, the gospel that I'm giving you isn't from me. It's from Christ Jesus. So again, he's pointing himself back to, back to Christ. He goes on in verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is where it always has to come from, even in our own lives. We can't get it on Sunday morning. We can't get it on Tuesday night or Wednesday night Bible study. The growth that we get and the word that we get, it's got to come from Jesus Christ. And his word, we know, in Hebrews 4.12, right? His word is active and alive. And so we have to be applying that activity and that, that livelihood to our lives directly. All right? It's not, God never intended us to go to church on Sunday and that's how we get filled and that's how we get fed the word. That all has to be secondary. Primary has to be you and him directly. Nothing, nothing in between. And I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't listen to teachings or go to church or read, you know, books that are back there on the shelves. That, that stuff is all great and it has its place, but it's got to be secondary. This has got to be primary. And when this is established and this is primary in your life, those other things come about. All right? All right. Verse 13. For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So what, what Paul is saying here and what he's telling the Galatians is, is amazing because the Judaizers that are in and false teachers and, you know, giving them these seeds of you've got to keep doing all this work and following all these laws in addition to following Christ, he's telling the people, what are you doing? I've been there. I was the elite of the elite in the Judaism field, and I'm telling you that it is all about the gospel of Christ. Christ crucified. It has nothing to do with following law because Christ fulfilled that law. You know, so he's saying, I've lived the old way. I was the best at it. Nobody had me beat in that field. And then I come to you, and I had my transformation. Now I'm coming to you and telling you about the gospel of grace. What are you doing? Why are you going back there? It's no good. It's done. Christ put that in the grave. So that's why he's reminding them here in this section, you know, I've been part of that. I know what they're doing. I know what that's all about. It's rubbish because Christ came. He was crucified to fulfill all those laws. All right, verse 15, but when it pleased God, that's for Angela because she loves the butts of the Bible. 
But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So he's talking about his old life of Judaism, all of the rules and the regulations. And he says, hey, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his, what's that say? What's that word? Grace. He called me through his grace. So Paul's again, he's saying, worked my own old way. Now we're into the new way. Um, You know, he always goes back to the Word of God. He always continually reinforces the message of Christ Jesus and and what that is um, to him and through him and all. I I think it's interesting. I I have a good friend at work, and she is a um, devout Catholic. And it, that's wonderful. She, I love her dearly. We have many spiritual conversations um, here and here out. But I remember one day we kind of got caught up on purgatory. So we were having some discussions about purgatory. And I was really just asking her questions. I'm like, well, what exactly is it? And, you know, I know you have, like, indulgences and ways that you can pray them out of purgatory. I was like, you know, just explain it to me. And she really struggled with it. She's... You know, I kept saying, well, where is it at? Show me where you're basing that off of in Scripture. Show me where that's at because I'm not tracking with you, you know. And finally, after several times of asking her, show me where, show me where, show me where. And she finally said, I just, I don't know where. I don't, I don't know. I just, that's just the way it is, you know. And she referred me to a a Catholic website um, to kind of read about it, which really gave me no insight whatsoever. But, but it, it was so just distressful to me because I just wanted to look at her. We were having this conversation over instant message. But I just wanted to, you know, look at her and hug her and say, why don't you know? Or if you really did know, you could point me to the scripture and show me where, where it is truth. I mean, I just, doesn't it bother you? I want to say, doesn't it bother you that you don't really know why you believe that or why it is the way it is? If you can't explain it to me, you know, why, why should I believe it? Because you can't, you can't point me to truth. All you can do is kind of point me to a website. So, you know, that just goes back to say um, you simply have to be studying the Word of God. And this, this is it, you know. I've got this measuring tape because I didn't have a measuring stick. But um, you have to look at every situation in your life. And everything that you're going through and all the decisions that you have to make. And you have to take it and you have to measure your thought life and your emotions and your actions up to this measuring stick. Because this measuring stick represents the Word of God. So when you're going through something, you're going through a trial or you need to make a decision in life, you always have to go back to the Word of God and say, you know what, what does the Word of God say about this? And how is it measuring up to my response or the way that I'm feeling or the things that I'm even thinking about this person that I'm struggling with right now? You know, you always have to use the measuring stick. You can't just use, you know, the first three inches of God's Word. You can't use the first eight inches of His Word. You've got to use the full breadth of His Word and the full counsel of God's Word. So remember that as you go about your day and go about your decision, it's got to be all of this. And the only way to achieve this 
is to be in his word and to learn more about him. He knows some of you where you're at. He knows you're just starting out or you're just starting over or, um, you know, you've been doing it for 10 years. He knows that and he respects that and he will teach you through it. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to counsel us and to teach us. He doesn't have us do it alone. That's why there's other, other ladies in this room who come alongside of you and will come alongside of you and disciple you and teach you through that process. All right, so we got to remember this. So remember that, that what the measuring stick is in life. Okay, where did I leave off? Verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. If you don't have this section here, underline, underline it. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. What does the NIV say? I did not consult any man. I did not consult any man. I almost like that better. Listen, ladies, this is a big one. This was very, very convicting for me as I read through it. Because I'll go through a situation at work um, or, you know, at home or, and I'll, you know, I've got my prayer warriors, y'all are on call. And when something happens, you know, you pop up your text message and you're like, hey, I need prayer in this area. Or you got, you know, pray with me about this situation or that situation. Uh, but when I read this, I was like, oops. Because while I'm doing maybe the right thing and, and asking other people for prayer, I'm missing it because that's been my first step. It's like I ask for prayer and then I do pray about it. But immediately I need to be before Jesus Christ about the situation. Immediately I need to stop and say, you know, here's how I'm feeling. I'm very frustrated. You know, this person's not being nice to me. Um, or I've got this situation or this, this decision to make. I've got to be alone with Christ first, just in that moment, wherever I'm sitting. I can't, my first reaction can't be to pick up the phone and have someone pray with me about it. I need to be in prayer before. And then I can do that second step of engaging others in the battle. There's nothing wrong with that. But I realize or recognize that I am missing an opportunity for God to work in my own life immediately because my first step is, hey, guys, you know, huddle up and pray for this. I, I need to be in prayer about it first and allow God to speak to me first about it before I confer, even with my husband about it. You know, it's about my relationship with Christ first. And so that should always be my first step, you know. And then I can consult with other godly people and, and get counseling about the situation. So uh, before we ever open our mouths, the first person is Jesus Christ that we have to run to. Because if we don't, we're absolutely missing an opportunity for God to work directly in us. And I have a couple examples of this this past um, a few weeks ago. I had a really irritating situation at work with a meanie head. We'll call him. And um, I really, I was traveling, which makes things even more difficult or frustrating for me sometimes because I'm just not in my home city. And, you know, someone was just, you know, not nice. And I remember I just stopped, and I was like, okay, I'm very frustrated with this. I'm very angry at this person. I'm feeling very emotional right now, you know. I get, when I get mad, I want to cry. And so I'm sitting in my office crying because I'm just so irritated, you know, which then makes me more mad because I'm not really a weepy kind of person or I don't like to be. And, you know, I just, I just sat there. I was like, Lord, you just, you're just going to have to handle this. You're going to have to help me, you know, maneuver through these waters. 
And just immediately the Lord started started speaking to me about it. He, and he started showing me, like, showing me about this person and why this person was doing this. And, you know, he was saying this thing, but really what was going on. Like, the Lord started showing me what he was, why he was acting the way he was. Like, this, I know it sounds like it's this, but, Tiffany, it's really about this. And that's what we miss. Like, if I had immediately picked up the phone and started texting it, you know, it may have been several hours or something before I kind of got that revelation from God because I wasn't immediately going to Christ. I was running to, you know, all my prayer partners. So I really, you know, as that situation happened, I was like, oh, I get it. You know, I understand why you want us to go to you immediately because after I had that time with them, I was like, I was still frustrated, but it just, it wasn't a big deal. It didn't eat at me. Like, like a lot of stuff like that will just kind of eat away at me and I'll think about it all day. And, you know, you, you play it out in your head, like, well, if they say this, and I'm going to say this, and if they say this, and I'm going to say this, you know, I know y'all are laughing because you know, it's true, <laughs> but you know, that is the benefit of going to Christ first because you get that immediate care and tenderness from him and that kind of that revelation and oftentimes a lot of correction with it too it's like you know you go to him first and he's like bang bang you don't need all like it so i get that i don't know if anybody else gets slapped in the face but i do occasionally in love because god has a sense of humor all right so that was verse 16 i did not immediately confer with flesh and blood or with man so paul knew I got to go to Christ first. So he's saying, I didn't go to Jerusalem. So he's talking about after his, uh, after his transformation. Um, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to man. Um, I didn't go see the apostles. I went to Arabia, which is the desert. Okay, desert. He went to the desert. Okay. And what does the first part of verse 18 say? After three years. Then after three years. <laughs> Has anybody felt like they've been in the desert for three years? Oh, he went after three years up to Jerusalem to see Peter and then remained with him for 15 days. Uh, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So he's saying that after his transformation, he went into the desert and that was his time with God. That was his one-on-one, let me, let me have the revelation of Jesus Christ as it talks about in verse 12. Neither was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where he received it, in the desert, okay? So if those of you are in the desert, <laughs> be looking for your revelation of Jesus Christ, all right? If you're looking for, for uh, you know, shade or water instead of looking for Jesus Christ, uh, you're going to be there a lot longer because <laughs> you're going to get thirsty and hot and hungry. But if you're looking at Jesus Christ, who is our provider, you will be satisfied, okay? All right. Verse 20. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So he's telling, he's telling them about the journey. So from his time of his transformation up into this period, he's just giving us a kind of a play-by-play of what he did. He was three years in the desert, he went, then went to Jerusalem for 15 days. Um, afterwards, he went to the region of Syria and Cilicia. And in this time, uh, we'll talk about it in verse 23 and 24, 
you know, remember that Paul or Saul at the time before his conversion or his transformation was well known in the area. He was well known for persecuting the church and killing people and uh, stomping out the name of Christ. So he was vicious. He was known for not being the kind of guy that you want to run to run into if you were a Christian or you know of that that new belief. So read how verse twenty three is, which I love. I love how he ends this chapter. This is probably my my number one nugget from this. Um, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So you have to kind of think about, think about this maybe even in your terms. Um, this is how I thought about it. Like, Paul is interacting with different people here and there. But remember that they, they only know, really, Saul, except for those that he's seen, seen face-to-face and then preached the gospel to. But what has happened over time is that it's catching wind, all right? So he goes to a certain region, and he starts preaching Christ crucified and the message of the gospel, and those people tell someone else, and those people tell someone else. And so it's saying in verse 23, but they were hearing only, meaning, okay, people were hearing of my transformation and hearing that I was preaching the, preaching the faith. They didn't see me face to face, but they knew what I stood for. And that is what you take away from this. Cause, and I put this, I put this in work terms, and you'll have to figure out kind of what the application is in your life. But, you know, I, have, I work for a large company. There's 5,000 of us. So I don't know everybody, okay? I know, I know a lot of people, or I may know the name but not know the person. But if you apply it the way that, that Paul is talking here, that even though they may not know me, may they know that I preach the faith. May someone that knows me, that knows me, that knows me, that knows me, know that I preach the faith. They may not know me personally. They may not know, know me from Adam, know my faith. But they know that I preach the faith. So that when someone says at work, oh, do you know Tiffany? May they say, no, I don't know her, but I know who she serves. And that should be who we strive to be, who we want to be. And that applies in any sphere of influence, wherever you're at in your life. The people who, you know, are friends of friends of friends, like on Facebook, you know, your friend of friend, and you're like, who just posted on my picture? That's what we're talking about. (laughs) Those people, may they know that you preach the faith. May they hear the report. I love that. May they hear the report and know that you preach the faith. And then at the end of verse 24 says, and that they will praise or glorify God in you. So may, even though they don't know you, may they glorify God with you because they too serve the same master. And that's such a tie and such, a, such an application for me. And my prayer for you and what I've prayed over you is that everyone you know and those you don't know but are kind of on the outer, outer side of your sphere of influence, May they know that you preach the faith. That has got to be our calling and our desire, that we preach Christ crucified. Because if we'll do that, if we do that, if we just do that with those who are immediately around our sphere of influence and those are kind of on the outskirts, if they know that we preach the faith, 
And there's, you know, two point, what I say, 2.1 billion Christians. Think about that for a moment. If we would preach the faith and those outside, you know, in our sphere of influence would preach it, this wouldn't be such a problem. Christianity wouldn't just be Christianity and go to church on Sunday. It would be I serve a risen Savior. I serve, I serve Christ Jesus who died for my sins. Talk about, talk freely about. So I think that's, that's absolutely key, that they may hear your report, that they know that you preach the faith, and that they praise God because of you. So let that absolutely and completely fill you. Because if you'll do those things, if you'll be in his word, if you allow this, the word of God, to be your measuring stick in everything that you do, we are absolutely unstoppable. Unstoppable. Amen? Amen. All right. We'll pray real quick. Father God, we just thank you for this word of Christ Jesus.